got this. Are there three more welcome words in life? Amazing what that simple phrase has allowed us all to do, things we've never thought possible. That that phrase was told to me by a guy named Dick Hall 53 years ago. I'd like to take some time here tonight to let you know how that phrase has affected my life and how it can affect all of yours. Let's go back to 1967. In 1967, I was in fourth grade. I started playing tackle football. This was in a time when parents really weren't conscious of concussions and football was religion. Probably the highlight of my mediocre season was receiving my uniform. It's very clean. I excitedly brought the uniform home to my mom, who had greater issues on her mind, but she knew who would really want to see me in that uniform. She took me to the Waltham, Massachusetts Hospital. I had my pants, shoulder pads, jersey, even brought my helmet along. I can remember feeling very awkward walking across the lobby, clanking along in my cleats. And as I got on the elevator, I felt the severity of the situation. When I got off on the oncology floor, I realized I'd come to say goodbye to my dad. I was very nervous walking into his room, but as soon as I saw him, he was propped up in his bed. He was thrilled to see me in my uniform. He wanted to hear all about football, how school was going, and, hey, what, what are your friends up to? I did know he was very sick. He, he really fatigued pretty quickly that day. He called me over to his bed, and with tears in his eyes, and I can assure you, tears in mine, he gave me a hug, and he said, you know, you're going to be all right. And as I left his hug, he gave me that simple phrase, You've got this. Now, I suppose my dad's last memory of me was as a football player. And I'd like to tell you, I was the star quarterback of my high school team, that I went on to play at a Big Ten university and was drafted by the Patriots. (laughs) Nope, nope, that wasn't the case. I was just an ordinary eight-year-old kid who had lost his dad to pancreatic cancer. It was very tough. And as we know, life can go a lot of different directions when you're faced with a tragedy like that. But over time, I've developed a philosophy that after a huge personal tragedy with a lot of tears, sorrow, mental anguish, that with time and perspective, and in that memory of my dad, can be a great sense of power and motivation to live up to his higher standard. Now, things didn't always go that smoothly. Let me tell you a story. Three years after my dad died, I was mercifully named to the Little League All-Star team. We were playing in a tournament to get to Williamsport for the Little League World Series. I can remember coming up to bat In the last inning of a do-or-die game, we were down by a run. There were two men on. I got in the batter's box. I swung at a pitch. I watched a pitch. Suddenly, the count was three and two. I stepped out of the box. 
I could hear some of my old coaches in the crowd yelling, come on, Bobby, you got this. I stepped back in the box, looked the pitcher in the eye. Here came the pitch. The bat never left my shoulder. It was a called third strike. The game was over. The season was over. It was a walk of shame back to the dugout. I did get a lot of consoling handshakes, slaps on the back. My mom sure tried to tell me, hey, there are bigger mountains to climb. But at the end of the day, it was my dad's philosophy, you got this. Yep, you experienced a bump in the road. Nope, it wasn't any fun, but you're going to be better for it. Now, there were some difficult times, you know, during that mourning period, and there were some difficult situations. I can remember going to the father-son Pinewood Derby with my mother. That was awkward. The end of the season sports banquets were always just didn't feel quite right, and sitting down to the Sunday dinner table with that looming empty chair was always tough. But the great thing is that the world is full of team players. And my dad's friends surrounded me. They wanted to ensure that his memory lived. And they sure instilled his sense of optimism. Hey, he was a lifelong Cubs fan. They wanted me to know his love of sports. He played five sets of tennis every Saturday and Sunday that I could get no greater compliment than, hey, you hit that forehand just like your dad. Yep, the Cubs are on a 10-game losing streak, but they're going to take the pennant. Or the greatest compliment I could get was, hey, you sound just like your dad. I've actually had this deep voice since I was 10 years old. (laughs) Now, I've had the same group of friends since fifth grade that I can assure you they really are a bunch of knuckleheads, but somehow they knew they needed to be there for me as a surrogate father. You know, whether it was things like making sure I wasn't the last one to throw the snowball at the cop car, or maybe they'd point out, hey, that girl you're going out with, she's cute and she's fun, but she's crazy. You better get out of that relationship. Or, you know, maybe you ought to take that job offer in Cleveland. That these guys have been there for 53 years for me. And while it's subtle that the you got this attitude is there for us all. Now, I'm not in the Big Sky Chapel as often as I could be. But I do feel I'm a spiritual guy. Whether it's God or my dad, you know, I've got someone to talk to. And I've gotten messages at really some critical times in my life. Now, maybe not so important, standing over a six-foot putt to win a golf match, that you've got this is helpful. That standing on the top of a steep run, looking over the edge, you've got this is helpful. It's been there at the most critical times, even of more serious nature, that going to see one of my best friends on his deathbed just giving you the gumption to be able to deliver that message. Now, I can remember going to work for a Wall Street firm. I was woefully underqualified for this job. I just graduated from college. I'd barely wrung the beer out of me. It was a very abrupt transition. 
I was about to enter this bastion of Ivy League degrees, present company excluded, and I was a little overwhelmed. I was, my heart was beating. I was sweating up a storm. But I can tell you, I remember getting into that elevator, getting a message from my dad, getting off on the 26th floor, and there was the managing partner of the firm, looked him in the eye, gave him a firm handshake, and worked at that same firm for 28 years. You know, if you think about it, every new experience in life, you're probably underqualified for that that's a very liberating thing, that you don't have much to lose. (laughs) That in my business career, that I've been introduced to many offices, boardrooms, and companies, and I've had a chance to lead a few of them, that I can assure you I was never really educated or trained for these positions, but with a little gumption and a lot of ignorance... And the you-got-this-attitude has allowed me to do some fulfilling things. Now, many of you, I bet, have read a new book by David Brooks called The Second Mountain. In the book, Brooks describes the first mountain as the one where you provide for your family, establish a corporate legacy, or maybe worry too much about how you weigh. In The Second Mountain... Brooks describes as the much more important mountain in life. It's the one where you provide for others. He goes on to say that with a lot of work and focus on that second mountain, it will lead to a more fulfilling life. Now, sometimes it can come in relatively simple simple acts. You know, maybe it's given a recent college graduate career advice. Perhaps there's a kid down the block that's veering off a little bit, needs to be pulled back in to have a conversation. Or maybe it's taken a sixth grader on their first tram lap. The one thing that I can assure you is the recipient of those acts of kindness is going to remember who bestowed that on him, who gave that to him a lot longer than you will. It can be very fulfilling. Now, I recently had a terrific Second Mountain experience. I sat down with the visionaries of our town who explained to me the need for a community center. To me, it seemed blatantly obvious. I was all in. They then went on to tell me that we were going to need to raise 20 million bucks in six months. I realized that this second mountain could be pretty darn steep. Now, one of the more difficult things in life is to ask people for money. And I can tell you that along with a tremendous team at the Big Sky Community Organization, and my father's you-got-this attitude, that we started making, making ass. We got several no's to start out, but then one by one, we got some yeses, which created the positive flywheel, and indeed, we were able to raise, raise this money in six months. Well, it will be soon that we'll all be enjoying the community center. Now, I suppose that part of life is passing the torch. My dad passed the torch to me at a relatively young age. And in fact, I am passing the torch to my three kids now. I I hope they're listening. (laughs) But I do have four quick points of advice for them. The first is to lead a spiritual life. To have that third party to lean on can be so critical and helpful 
at serious times in your life. Secondly, be a team player. To be able to fill that void in someone's life can mean so much to that person and be so fulfilling for you. You know, try new things that you really have very little to lose. And again, you're always underqualified. So why not? Give it a shot. The final thing is climb that second mountain that it can be so fulfilling for you and our community and our country needs you. Now, I have one final thought, that we all have some opportunities that we probably haven't taken advantage of, that we all might have some problem or something that we haven't completely addressed. And I think that, why don't you think about that for a second? And then let's apply my dad's philosophy. So if on the count of three, we say, you got this, I blew it. Uh, on the count of three, one, two, three, you got this. Thank you. Yeah.